When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Rhodes and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Welcome to Rocco's Modern Life. Take it back. That's kicking it. We're, welcome to kicking it. It's Grant Mahoney, Jeff Woody. We're here after the Iowa State Cyclones beat the Oklahoma Sooners. Not as badly as the game would indicate as would happen, but 34-27, Iowa State wins. Uh, we are brought to you by Kelder Manufacturing. It is officially harvest season, Grant. And uh, if you need a, I mean, if mechanics, mechanical problems happen, you don't quite have the equipment ready, which hopefully you do. But if you're looking to either after this harvest season, before this harvest season, replace some of your equipment, you need something manufactured, you need something tweaked, got a place for you. You know where that place is? Kelderman Manufacturing. I think that's the actual, uh, that's the song. So if Kelderman, if, if they don't have an actual slogan, I think they just need to record that. Aiden, you want to send that to them? I can do better. Got it. Okay. Uh, anyway, we're in the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Studios. Uh, as per the usual, uh, we got NBA Jam going on in the corner. So if, you ever, if you're on the YouTube channel or if you're in the YouTube feed and you're watching this and I just keep peering over to my right, it's because I'm watching uh, James Worthy dunk on somebody. Probably. I don't know. Some, something's happening with NBA Jam that's impressive. But anyway. Mark Price. Mark Price for three. Uh, Mark Price. That's a deep pull. I always love playing with... Uh, uh, the Golden State Warriors because you could be Chris Mullen and just because he's he's the best three point like there's like a few guys that have maxed out three point shooters he him and Reggie Miller were the tall ones and so I like being able to play with a tall three point shooter so I always play with Golden State so you just huck threes from anywhere no my team was always the Spurs because you had David Robinson oh, and Tim Duncan so like you couldn't I mean you'd stuff everyone and then you'd dunk on everyone like it's easy it's too easy it's easy yeah. anyway uh, points are fun Grant Points it's, are fun. It's crazy what happens when Coach Campbell listens to the podcast and, and just lets Steel <laughs> House cook, you know? We are officially the catalysts of change. You're welcome, America. We did that for you. Uh, that is 100% the reason why they changed. No, I think it is interesting because uh, the game, like I said, the game wasn't as close as what the scoreboard would indicate at the very end, and it was a little tense towards the end. But Oklahoma State had a few flash plays and the defense didn't play awesome. There were a few times where on that last drive, uh, I think Miles Purchase has just been gassed because he was trailing um, Brennan Presley the entire time. Basically, the entire second half, he was just matched with Brennan Presley the whole way. And Presley's quick. And he just got a little bit gassed. And then they switched him to a tight end, got a little bit off in a route. But other than that, uh, the defense played pretty solid. You good? <coughs> Wrong pipe. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, for those that aren't watching, he's referring to windpipe. Not an actual pipe. I think that is a. Uh, it's illegal. Drink out my stand. They went down the wrong pipe. Uh, mm. Use the wrong I'm pipe. I'm good. Anyway, uh, so Oklahoma State didn't. They had a few flash plays, but I think the story obviously here is that the offense looked better. Uh, we'll get into the offense in a second, but uh, 
First things first, most important, special teams POY. Yeah, Chase Contreras dropped his big old nutsack on the Big 12 this week and won player of the week, Big 12 special teams player of the week. Hell of a bounce back, man. I mean, going 0 for 2 and then his first field goal attempt, coming back after that. 52? 51. 51. And just into smooch, the wind. smooched the upright, but in nonetheless. Great execution. The ball itself, the trajectory was fine, but the, the rotation wasn't quite perfect. But, a little under it. Uh, he, he wrapped his foot a little bit. Mm, so it was a little wobbly. Yeah, so a little wobbly. And you could see it was, that's why I was kind of trailing towards the, if he's kicking it, the left upright. Because he hooked his foot just a smidge, and that's what that's what caused it from instead of being end over end, how, like you want it had a little bit of the X going on, um, but when it goes in, it doesn't matter. Well, and I think the cool thing, so that that kick, the operation was really good. It like, was snap, snap, hold, kick. Everything was on time. It was in rhythm. Uh, hit Perkins right where he needed to. And the second one I thought was a more impressive kick because the snap was it was a great hold, and the snap was a little bit off, but still got it down. Nails a 47 yarder to make the game a two score game. Yeah. And that's, I'm, I mean, I don't know Contreras person, but I'm really proud of him just how he's bounced back. Cause right now he, he is consistent and I'm not trying to shit on the long snapper. We've got a long snapping problem where he's, he's not short consi- snapping problem. Short, yeah. Short, long snap. The, the long snapper. Yeah. But the, the short snapping, short snapping on yeah. field goals. Yeah. We've got a short snapping field goal problem where he's, uh, I think it's knob is, it's just, He's inconsistent, um, which which is, you know, it's hard to be reliable. It's hard to, as a kicker, it'd be hard to trust. You know, I was thankful that I had Dakota Zimmerman, who was Gray Mountain. Yeah, the dude was nails every time. I mean, he always had just awesome snaps. Um, and Nabok's been fine. I mean, he, he's he's done well, but he's had there's a couple off. He, he's had inconsistencies, and um, it's it's hard to be 100% confident. You know, when when you're Perkins and when you're Contreras, um, knowing that the execution is going to be there every single time. But he's, I mean, Contreras has bounced back. Like you said, the second, the second field goal, 46 yarder was slightly high, but Perkins got it down, hit his spot. And yeah, I mean, kick went through perfectly. And what, the other thing, just general special teams, the way that they executed was really solid. And there was some times when Jalen Knoll, there was in the past, you let that at the very end of the game when it was kind of, he fair caught it and then ran into the trees to go make an actual catch, throws his hand up for a fair catch goes and actually receive the ball. If he doesn't make that, I think Iowa State gets the ball, maybe the plus 48. If he doesn't make that catch, that ball probably bounces and rolls for 10 or 15 yards because that thing was coming down hard. And uh, otherwise, like general special teams, it was a solid effort and nothing really went. It was unremarkably well executed. Even some of the shanks, air quotes shanks by Tyler Perkins. I think he was kicking with the wind. I think he got a little uh, little ambitious trying to put, keep the nose up a little bit. Tried to get it up in the wind, just got under a little bit, still got a, got a roll. And I think one of his, his quote, shank, ended up landing and rolling and still netting 54. Not bad for a shank. Uh, so total yards number, what do you think we're at? What's well, the plus? I, okay. I, I would say that the only bad thing we had is that the kickoff went out of bounds. Um, that was supposed to be a squib, you, yes? Do you think he approached it like it was a squib? Because it was the, the, that situation at the very end of the game that was, yeah, I, uh, can see that. I think, f- kicking off with two and a half minutes left. Uh, and or four minutes left, something like that. Uh, the last kickoff of the game, I th- it looks like that was intended to be a squib, and he just hooked. He just pulled it. Personally, I don't I don't understand squibs because it's they they are just a, a piss rocket that's getting into the, re- the returner's hands fast. But you might get it to a fat guy. Like that's the thing that I think. What that- what I would prefer, what I would do if I were uh, Coach Langs, I would if if you don't want the returner to get it, you kick that thing as high as you can. Because that gives your one that gives your return team time to get down there, 
And two, if you want a fat guy to catch it, kick it to a fat guy. And if he doesn't catch it, if the, if the returner wants to run up and get it, okay, run up and get it. But our guys are going to be right there to tackle him. That's my stance on squib kicks. What if next week they actually do that? That's the, that's the litmus test to see if the if the coaching staff is paying attention and they're listening to kicking it and they they kick a real high blooper in a situation where they're trying to run the clock out. That's the litmus test. There was a couple of years ago too where Iowa State did it and we recovered it. I I, I can't remember. Is it 2020? I, I feel like know. I feel like everything went for us in 2020. So I'm gonna say 2020, where whoever the kick was at the time, we just we just kept you know Iowa State kept just boop, just kind of dropping it right in front of the right behind the up back, but right in front of the return man. And Iowa State got the ball. I, I want to say in the the bowl game, there was one game where we got it. It wasn't intentional, but we got it. And when you're not expecting that, I mean, weird things can happen. Hidden yardage, what do you think? Okay, so total yardage, Iowa State had 422, and Oklahoma State had 409, which we'll talk about. We'll put an asterisk next to 409. Um, Giddy up. I would say that I think Iowa State was positive. Now, to be to be fair, Iowa State did have a kneel down at the end of the game. You got to remove that one. Okay. Because there was the interception by Tampa, kneel down, remove that off the off the schedule and they got that they got the ball in the 39 so let's take that off so total yardage iowa state plus or minus what i really don't like this game jeff i don't care um you know what i've i've been i've been the opponent i've thought the opponent has had more hidden yardage every game i think iowa state's got more hidden yardage this game i'm gonna say iowa state had 47 yards of hidden yardage aiden let's go 65, Iowa uh, State. Iowa State plus 36. Ooh, that was okay. close. If you were to include, they got the ball in the thir- their own 39 on that kneel down. If you were to include the kneel down, they're like plus 80-ish, whatever that, 36 plus 39, so 75, whatever it is. So they it was more or less a push. There wasn't a lot of field position difference that really happened all that much. There was a lot of touchbacks um, for the majority of it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, a pretty well-played special teams game kicking got back on, which is really good going into the back into the remainder of the big 12 season or the remainder of the season. Uh, cause you're, you're one third of the season is done. You're four games in, you've got eight games left guaranteed. So you're one third of the se- or one third of the season done and your kicker has regained his confidence, which if you look at the rest of the conference, I mean, Texas has looked really good. Like as much as it pains me to say, Texas is clear cut the best team in the conference right now. Uh, but outside of Texas, are there is there really any team that you look at and you go, man, that's a that's a uh, there's no way I could stick and pull that one off. Kansas State gets beat by Mizzou. Uh, Kansas it gets beat by Mizzou in like a 63 yard bomb. That yeah. was awesome. Andrew Mevis is little brother, that's little right. baby Mevis. Uh, but Kansas State's looked fine. Uh, it's it's but you stop. I mean that uh, UCF, Kansas Kansas's offense has looked good, but their defense has looked, looked trash. Yeah. They've, uh, they've gotten Swiss cheese and they, so you have, I mean, Texas tech. I, I still, I don't know why people thought Texas tech was going to be good. Baylor's looked way worse than they normally have. TCU has been really hit or miss. UCF uh, has looked fine, but they they're, they're out there starting quarterback. So they played a backup against Kansas state. Uh, so, and they played respectable. So UCF seems decent Cincinnati, uh, Emory Jones at quarterback has been, He's played, uh, I'll just call it uninspired. A lot of it is trying to do either do too much or just misreading everything. I've watched a couple games. I watched the Oklahoma game. Um, and there's not really, I mean, so you look through the rest of the season, there's not really anyone outside of Texas that you go, man, they're good. And even Texas, who knows? Like they beat Alabama, but then they slept walk through the first half of Wyoming. And I think they, Alabama's down this year too. When they, well, and then they, Texas beat the 
bejesus out of Baylor, but we'll see what they're going to be come Oklahoma. So the rest of this season with Contreras being confident and comfortable and the special teams operating, the margins that Iowa State is talking about, they don't win the game on Saturday if the, quote, margins were bad. They won special teams, top to bottom. It's sort of push-ish. They won the turnover margin two to zero, and they didn't, uh, I mean, they executed really well at quarterback. They didn't run the ball, but they did the rest of the things right in a way that set them up for success. And having a kicker that is confident going into the rest of that season is a huge difference maker for the rest of the season. Yeah, and it's, you know, there's there's a lot of um, either confidence or just deflating um, that goes into, you know, say I would take us a ball in the 20, they drive down to the other 20 and you miss a field goal there's nothing more deflating and demoralizing for the team than, you know, we were just out on the field for, you know, 10 minutes driving the ball and you miss the kick. Like that's one that, you know, it sucks for the kicker, but two, it's like the offense is just, you know, pissed off because you just drove that entire way. So ha- having a reliable kicker and having Contreras on, you know, his a game is like just such a confidence booster for, for the entire team. And like you've mentioned in our Friday state to win, they got to win in the margins and, if Contreras keeps us up, it's it's going to be it's going to be huge, you know. And and that was the difference last year, you know. In, in a lot of games where Iowa State lost, you know, we missed kicks, and you know we lose by not much. But not just that; it's also a confidence booster to the team when you when you miss a kick. So and trusting that when you get into the red zone, or you really, if you're making two fifty yarders at home and a forty eight yarder pretty quickly after that, if you get to near the thirty then you can more or less count on points. And then Rocco doesn't have to feel like he's got to force something in or you don't have to go for it on fourth and six. You can just, hey, let's, if the, if it's not there, throw it in the third row of the stands. Let's live to play another game or live to play another down, trot the kicker out there. Yeah, and I'm I'm really impressed with Contreras. He's got a very um, fluid motion, very um, easily repeatable motion. Um, when I was out there, I was kind of helter skelter and just, you know, I, every time I saw a ball, I just thought I'm going to murder this thing. And just, I mean, I went out my freshman year, I was 145 pounds. So the, the way I was able to generate a 57 year field goal was, you know, the, the leg speed, whereas Contreras has a very fluid, smooth, um, approach and leg swing. One that you'd see from Iowa kickers that Iowa's always had really good kickers, but their kickers look like they make it look so effortless. And that's how Contreras is. You know, he is, he's very robotic, which is good to be a kicker. Um, but he's very smooth. He's very smooth in his uh, his, his approach and his, his swing through and his mechanics, I should say. So another, th- I mean, that kind of leads, the special teams is good. Ty- Tyler Perkins, again, great. Um, Dog. Ray guy. Uh, can, <clears throat> so moving, that, moving on from the special teams to kind of the story of the game was the fact that the offense worked. The thing that I really liked about the offense, so a couple things, uh, Matt Campbell at the after the game, and now t- take this for what it's worth. Any any time a coach is at a podium, like I think Williams has said, is like you're, they're they're more or less. It's not the truth, but it's like an, a direction towards the truth, like ish. But well, the thing that he was saying after the game is that he was p- calling or styling the game in a way that was playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. Now, what that meant is that I think the goal of having those three tight ends is to play a very, a run first style, which if you can execute run first style, you suck the air out of the ball. You're able to keep your team on the field. Your defense then gets to rest, gets to be more aggressive. You can potentially get, if you get a seven or 10 point lead, then you can just strangle the game. And that means that your quarterback is probably not throwing a ball into contested situations. You're probably not doing a lot of RPOs because an RPO has 
the read on the run could be a potential screw up and fumble. The read on the throw could be if it's if it's read wrong, that's a pick six. There's a, there is some risk that goes into running stuff like RPOs, throwing the ball into coverage, and, and admitting that after the game and saying we just freed it up. Like actually, we're able to be aggressive. I think Rocco and the way the offense executed between Jalen Noel and Daniel Jackson and uh, Dimitri Stanley played really well. The tight ends in the passing game, Easton Dean, this Easton game, Easton Dean's best game is a cyclone dogs. And you have all those guys that played really well. It allowed the offense to be more of what it needed to be. And this is a thing I like building stuff. My dad was a construction worker and did flooring for forever. And so I grew up helping him build stuff. And one of the things that he told me is that the project will become what it wants to be as you're building it, where you might think that this table needs to be, or this chair needs to be 24 inches wide. Well, when you actually get it to be cut, maybe the grain of the wood is a little bit different if it's 25 and a quarter or something like that. And so as you go through the process, you're not so stubborn that you're just adhering to the plan. You're allowing the process to teach you something as you're going. And it feels like the this was a big change between last week and this week is allowing the team to influence what they wanted to do on the field. Yeah, and you know, we you, you can't not run the ball, you know, so we have to continue to run the ball. But I also felt like I feel like, you know, Campbell and Shieldhouse and whoever else is, is seeing that running is not our strength. We we, you know, our offense the Iowa State's offensive line is is they're not run blocking very well. And you know, we kind of talked about this I think off, you know, offline where I felt like, you know, we, we we can't run between the tackles. We're struggling to run, to run between the tackles, but we still have dynamic ball carriers. And so somehow get the ball into the to the running back's hands on the outside. You know, Sama's fast. Norton's fast. Um, or not Norton. Sanders. Oh, I think Norton. I think he's more injured than we think. I, yeah, I, I that didn't look like a That was stinger. not a stinger. I, I think he broke his collarbone. I think that's what happened. I don't or, know what or, happened. Or, anyway, we're not or doctors. Separated shoulder. You're right. Um, but I did say Holiday Express. No. Um <laughs> But I, I, I think, you know, the running backs, you can't not run the ball, but I think Iowa State needs to figure out how they can run the ball and be effective. And I think, being a kicker that I am and playing running back in seventh grade, getting the ball on the outside with our fast guys is how Iowa State's going to have to run the ball. So here's what I saw when we were actually, when, when just watching the game. So I watched it in person and watched it again on replay. In the first, there, there's two things that can be true at one time. One, run blocking is still pretty suspect. There's a lot of times, whether there's a collision that's in the wrong spot or, I mean, everyone kind of recalls, and James Neal had a rough game. Uh, not great. Um, also, Simmons did not between, play. between the Ohio game, I had to go back. It's a fun little story about this. So watching the Ohio game, so for Channel 5 on, at 1030 every Saturday, I do the Cyhawk game day, and, and I get a, it's a really fun segment that I get to do, which they have a touchscreen TV, get to put a play up there. I get to, like, doodle on the entire thing and say, this is what they're doing and whatever. And so I was trying to figure out, because the story coming out of that game was the fact that Iowa State couldn't run the ball. And so I had to go back and watch every single running play that Iowa State had to see if there was a good camera angle that you could put on the screen. And that's I text you guys because we have kind of a chat to plan out what we want to go over. And I told you guys, I think it was maybe, what was it? Thursday, Friday, that I was like, I would be shocked if Daryl Simmons plays on Saturday yeah. with as poorly as he was as as poor as poorly as he executed. This doesn't mean that he's not going to play for the rest of the season. But after the performance against Ohio, we didn't see him. Now, maybe he's hurt. Maybe that's the reason why. But I I would guess it's a performance based thing. So they got a freshman. The the is it Brennan Black? Brennan Black. Yeah. So 
the freshman comes in, does pretty well for a freshman, but still the run game isn't isn't great. So thing number one that can be true is the running game still needs to improve. The second thing is the fact that Iowa State finally broke their own tendencies, which forced Oklahoma to change. So by the Oklahoma end, State, yeah. by or Oklahoma State, excuse me, which forced Oklahoma State to change by the end of by the the, the second half. What happened was in the first half of the game, uh, the anytime Iowa State ran a multiple tight end set or really in a run down, if it's first down and they tried to run the ball or it's multiple tight ends or they motion somebody in in the things that are conventionally going to be Iowa State runs the ball out of this look. Iowa or Oklahoma State runs like a poor man's version of Iowa State's defense. That's a three, three, five or like a three, two, six or something like that. And their safety, I mean, the, the middle safety, I think is number five. He's like six, four, like 220. Just plays like a linebacker. Caden Daniels, yeah. And his job is he, the way they have him filling is they have him filling like a B or a C gap. He is a trigger player. If you see run, you are to insert in the middle of that offensive line and mess something up. You have a gap. I think he has a gap responsibility. If he doesn't have a gap responsibility, he's sort of just a float player, but his goal is to mess something up. Well, that guy is playing at eight or nine yards. He's not in your count. So what I mean by your count is, the offensive line, the center is going to point at and say, Mike is 41. And then everybody sets their blocking assignment off of that. And then it's, you know, the, the guard has the guy one to the left of that Mike or ID or whatever. And the backside tackle has two pass to the other side. So everything's set off of that. And that guy's not in your count. So even if you're including the down linemen, the linebackers, maybe some overhang players, they're the ones that are overhang players, meaning the people that are outside the tackles or outside the tight ends. Maybe you include all those people in your count, but you don't, you don't include that guy. And if you're not including that guy, he triggers hard as a run because you've given every indication on film that that is a run play in the first half that happened, even if on certain or even if on plays that were blocked well, that guy is a free player. He's an unaccounted for blocker. He's an unaccounted for tackler. So he was fitting anytime there was a run. He was fitting hard downhill. Is it any surprise that the most successful offensive plays that Iowa State had or play action across the middle. He's a middle safety. He's playing at nine or 10 yards, playing straight downhill. If he sees any type of run action, the first big play to Jalen Knoll, the touchdown to Daniel Jackson, the other, I mean, touchdown to Jalen Knoll. It's, it's a play that is right down the middle because any run action out of a multiple tight end set was in the past guaranteed run play. By the time they got burned six, seven, eight times, Oklahoma State had to then back their safeties back and also not just in alignment, but also they had to remove that immediate trigger. At that point, Eli Sanders rips off a 10-yard run or a six-yard run or a four-yard run, or they're able to give a little uh, shovel pass out to uh, Daniel Jackson and Daniel Jackson runs around the corner and gets a seven or eight yards. And that starts to open up because the tendency that Iowa State had when multiple tight ends or motioning somebody in was run downhill. By breaking those tendencies, it forced Oklahoma State to respect the rest of the game. That being said, I am curious, going into Oklahoma now, that's on film. Is Will it be easier to run the ball in quarter one because you did break tendencies? You now aren't guaranteed that if we're, if I'm an offense and I come out down tight end on the left, off tight end on the right, running back in the pistol, and I turn my back as a quarterback looking like I'm going to hand it off, I can't guarantee that that's going to be a run play because Iowa State's most successful plays and had a ton of explosives on play action and multiple tight end sets that were that were run plays. So one, 
the run game still it, it has some work to be done the the blocking execution from the tight ends and the offensive line is not good and it's not good enough yet but schematically by letting Rocco cook letting him actually throw play action letting him throw RPOs letting him actually move and and command the offense it forces the triggering alley safeties or or run players from that say that second level the third level they have to back out. So yeah, I'm interested to see what Oklahoma does because they, they might have to start playing back, which means that the running game should have a little bit more room to breathe. Again, you still have to execute it, but it should have a little bit more room to breathe this week. That's good. I mean, I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that, you know, but that does make sense that, you know, it's crazy when Iowa State's got coaches that make adjustments. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? But I would say that, you know, the, the, next, the next element I would like to see Iowa State progress to is on an RPO, to make it an RPO, not just an R, you know, just, mm -hmm. just pull the ball. If you need to pull the ball, dump it off to our three tight ends. That's, I mean, that, well, that's, that, that, that's, that's me backyard football. That, did, that actually did happen. And so, yeah, Daniel Jackson's touchdown, I think was a called pass. Uh, the one that Easton Dean caught that got them into a position where Eli Sanders could score. It was like a 12 or a 13 yard dump off. That was an RPO. There is a lot of, you know, Williams and Bloom, they played the air raid siren, which is the, the most horrible sound that I've ever heard. Chris, please never play that sound again. Awful. Uh, it it scared my dogs. Like I was listening to it just on my phone in the kitchen and it scared my dogs. Like they thought that it was an actual, it was just terrible sound. Anyway, uh, they joke about it's the air raid. I mean, kind of, sort of, but one of the things that they were doing, so in the air raid, you're substituting passes for runs. That's the whole point is that second and three is second and three. I don't care how you get there, whether it's a pass play, whether it's a run play, whether it's a quarterback sneak, it doesn't give a shit. Just, I got to get to second and three. And what, by the time the third quarter happened and Iowa State was playing, they're still playing 12 personnel, meaning they have a running back and two tight ends. They'd have, they say, Easton Dean, who's the best downhand tight end that Iowa State has by a good margin. And Steve O'Klotz is like blocking with one arm. He's like, back. He's back. Uh, he's, he's got. They, I would say make sure that they, they first pass play gave to him. Steve was alive. Here yeah, he is. His, but I mean, when you watch him block, like he's not using, I think it's his left arm. Like he's not using his left arm like that. He's got a, some type of neck or shoulder going on. Normally he's your best blocker. So Easton Dean is your best blocker. And I would say arguably your only good blocker at this point at that position. But the rest of them, especially uh, Bramer, uh, no, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, 84 Burkle. Burkle. Um, you've got Burkle. guys that can operate in space. Bramer's your best, but you've got 12 personnel down, high, down hand with Easton Dean. But you've got, say, there was a couple times where they'd run trips to the to one side, meaning there's three wide receivers. And because of the play actions, because of the fact that they'd gotten beaten deep and Oklahoma State was actually having to play a deeper look, they're playing match. They're, they're, they're number one or on the receiver, number one receiver starting from the sideline in number one receiver was getting kind of pressed by the corner. The number two was playing. The guy covering number two was way off 12, 15 yards deep. The guy playing number three is playing at like 10 or 12 yards, eight or 10. And they have an overhang player like Iowa state does is sort of their outside linebacker. And they ran several, it was four or five of this of the completions were just RPOs to that side because the guys covering two and three, are playing at 12 yards. Just run five yards and turn around. And if there's a guy who drops, then we're going to run right at him. If there's a guy, if that guy comes forward, I'm going to throw it. And that's where you get to be second and three. It doesn't really matter. You're just throwing it to a guy who's run and turn around. So the fact that Iowa State's running game didn't really work, 
they were still had options to pull Oklahoma State out of what they wanted to do to be able to execute what their their offense needed to be. So yeah, it wasn't great offensive like running the ball wise, but it's still it got the job done to the point where Oklahoma will now for sure have to change their game plan. I'm just curious of what that game plan is going to be. Well, I'm glad too that Iowa State, you know, for the first three games, you know, we just saw them dinking and dunking and not really trying anything past eight yards. And then, you know, Rocco's out there cooking, man. He's out there cooking, just launching it deep. You know, I'm proud of Jalen Knoll too. The dude was, he was sick, in, you know, versus Ohio, couldn't play. Sometimes you just need a good puke and rally. That's what he did. He just, you know, got it out and the dude rallied. I mean, he had a, <laughs> he had a, Tell me I'm wrong. I, I, it's an interesting contextual use of that term. Uh, it works. Yeah, it's so. good enough. It works. It's good I enough. Mean, <laughs> but he had a great game. I mean, maybe his best game in a Cyclone yeah, uniform. And, I mean, and Daniel Jackson's and for sure his too. best. I'm a big Daniel Jackson fan, man. I mean, he, he has been dinged up his entire career. He finally looks healthy. He's out there eating, man. Yeah. Dog. He was six, six targets, six receptions, two touchdowns. Dog. Boom. Um, so I that's that is the thing that I'm interested in going in. And we're going to get all on, get into this a lot more on Fart. And I think, Aiden, we already recorded this. So uh, go listen to Fart. We would have already talked about it. We totally had done that in the past. Um, but anyway, we do. We're going to switch gears to actually introduce. We do have a guest this week. And very knowledgeable guest. Very too. knowledgeable. Dude, sharp. Younger than I expected him to be. Great insight, yeah. Um, so Parker Thune, he co- works, covers Oklahoma for Rivals. Um, so the Goldfinch Athletics interview segment of the week is going to be Parker Thune with Rivals. So Goldfinch Athletics, if you're interested, go to goldfinchathletics.com. We are having a partner week special starting October 2nd. And if you want to come into any one of our locations, it is going to be free. Everything's done with a buddy. You're going to meet people. Uh, everything is adaptable to whatever your level is. So goldfinchathletics.com and get started. But anyway, so we're going to kick it over to Parker Thune. And now we welcome in Parker Thune from Rivals for Oklahoma. Parker, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course, fellas. Glad to be here. We, uh, as our listeners know, Iowa State coming off a, a hot win over hot garbage Oklahoma State. <laughs> um, we are now going down to, um, I'm trying to think, Memorial Norman. Sta- yeah, Norman. Memorial Stadium. Yeah, Memorial Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Norman, Oklahoma to face on the Sooners. Parker, thanks again for joining us. Uh, yeah, right off the bat. What can you tell us about the Sooners? <laughs> well, this is obviously a uh, obviously a program that experienced a down year for the first time in a long time in 2022. Six and seven. It was their first losing season since 1998, which preceded Bob Stoops' arrival. So it's been a minute since the Sooners struggled the way that they did in 2022. Uh, really difficult to tell how much they've turned the page and how much growth and improvement there has been. But for anybody that's watched Oklahoma through four games this season, it's very clear. There's been some improvement Dylan Gabriel at the quarterback position. Uh, he's the trigger man in Jeff Levy's offense and he's been strong and he's been solid throughout his career as a sooner uh, low risk type of quarterback in a play pretty conservatively doesn't take a ton of shots doesn't put the ball in harm's way a whole heck of a lot the big question mark right now for Oklahoma is the running game from an offensive standpoint it's kind of bizarre how they've uh, rotated their backs through the first four weeks of the season and we can dive into that a bit more later but I think what has Sooner fans excited right now is that this defense is playing better than it has in a long, long time for the Crimson and Cream. And we were talking right before we went on the air, what these fans are accustomed to. Well, if you think back to the last couple of defensive coordinators Oklahoma has had, 
Mike Stoops and Alex Grinch weren't outstanding at their jobs. Well, it's very very nice of you to say it that way. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, obviously you bring in Brent Venables in December of 2021 with the idea that he is going to rejuvenate your program from an overall standpoint. Sure, but there's no more qualified, no more revered defensive mind in college football than Brent Venables. He was overqualified to be a head coach. And I think everybody was just kind of surprised that it took him that long to take a gig. But you bring in a defensive mind, a guy like that, you expect that there is going to be pretty immediate improvement. 2022 was a tough year for many reasons. Uh, the hand that Venables was dealt in terms of defensive talent was not tremendous. And so 2023 is, I think, where you've really started to see some of those improvements take root. And currently, as we sit here recording this podcast through four games, Oklahoma's got the second best scoring defense in the nation. Now it's come against Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa and Cincinnati. So maybe not the best gauge on how elite this defense truly is. But from what Sooner fans have seen of their defense thus far in 2023, no doubt you have to be impressed and you have to be pleased. So what when you're talking about the defense from last year to this year, there's obviously an execution thing you can't it doesn't matter how many people you swap out but what is the roster turnover from last year to this year because I mean despite the fact that it was still a fairly close game last year as as I recall at least for the majority of the game uh between Iowa State and Oklahoma what is the was there a big personnel change from last year or is it just like general execution that's gotten that's gotten better Well, they have, I mean, from a personnel standpoint, they have overhauled. They made several big additions via the transfer portal, nabbed a couple of five-star signees that have already made a tremendous impact for this defense. Safety Peyton Bowen, who I believe closed the cycle as the number 25 overall player in the country, and then edge rusher P.J. Adibawara. His very first offer came from Iowa State. Really good eval by that staff. Kid from Kansas City? uh, Yep, that's right. North Kansas City (laughs) High. Absolute freak show you and know what oklahoma actually they they stole a commit from iowa state too um, r mason thomas ah, you r. Mason Thomas. there you go and <laughs> dirty rascal yeah he's actually been banged up he's only appeared in one game thus far he hey, should don't lie. should return the, the, the big question right now for oklahoma as they head into this matchup with iowa state is uh who basically who they want to bring back because they have several guys who are banged up but probably capable of playing this week. And the big question is, okay, how many of these guys do you play at less than 100%? And how many of them do you keep on the shelf knowing that the biggest game of your season is the following weekend down in the Cotton Bowl against Texas? Is there, like, as you're, because you're a reporter, you're in the facility kind of as like a neutral observer. You're sort of like an alien walking through a new planet being like, what are, what are you all doing? What are you all feeling? Just sure. reporting back to home base what that is. Is there a sense that this week is in the way of Red River? No. I, I think, here's the deal, guys. In most cases, yes, that would be the thought. But what I think most everyone within the building at Oklahoma and, for, I mean, on a broader scale, the fan base as a whole, they understand two things. One is that regardless of how these two teams have matched up on paper in recent years, Iowa State has always given them a challenge, whether that has been in Ames or whether that has been in Norman. So I think there has there has there came a point, I would say, probably back in 2021, 
when the Cyclones went seven and six, but still took Oklahoma down to the wire in Norman, where there was a degree of respect established for what Matt Campbell has built and an understanding that, okay, going forward, you can never look past this team, can never look past them. And also, one thing that has been a constant for Oklahoma in recent years is they've always gotten surprised somewhere along the line when they've gotten caught looking past an opponent. I think back to the Kansas State game in 2019 where the Wildcats upset oh, yeah. a 7-0 Oklahoma team in Manhattan. I think back to uh, Ames in 2020, right, where the Sooners are coming off what looks like a fluky loss to Kansas State and they're eager to get back on track. Where they go up to Ames for a night kick against Brock Purdy and the Cyclones and the defense falls apart. Brees Hall rushes for a couple of touchdowns and they – end up with a second straight loss for the first time in it had been four years to that point. So you can't look past Iowa state because of how close they've played Oklahoma year in and year out, regardless of how they've matched up on paper. And also Oklahoma fans know that historically the second they get caught looking past somebody, they end up mailing it in and getting surprised. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about, I guess kind of a two part question. We, we had talked about how last year, Oklahoma had a, had a down year and this year, obviously they're four and oh, and they're ranked. Um, you know, is this year, is it so much that they are improved and they're better or is it a, you know, they haven't really played anybody that great so far and they're, they're just beating the teams that they should. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, I, I do think there has been a significant degree of improvement, especially defensively, but also it's tough to truly gauge where this team's at because Cincinnati was really the first opponent that they've played all season that could give them and, and, and SMU hang SMU was able to hang with them for a while in that game. And SMU had some skill position talent. Uh, their defense showed up and played pretty well that day. So uh, I'll, I'll put it to you this way though, of the four opponents, Oklahoma has played thus far. There has not been a single team that has stood opposite the sideline that can match up with Oklahoma physically from an athletic standpoint. Oklahoma has been better than all four opponents that they've faced. And while the 2022 Sooners had an uncanny gift for losing to opponents like that, the 2023 Sooners haven't really struggled. So yes, there's been improvement. Yes. I, 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 I said it after the Cincinnati game Saturday, that game is probably a game last year's team loses all things considered. So there's been improvement, no doubt. There's reason to believe that this team is back to its winning ways after the chaos and the tumultuous campaign that was 2022. But taking everything with a grain of salt right now until you get into the weekly grind of Big 12 play and you get the opportunity to go up against at least a couple of programs that can match up with you physically. And Jeff had kind of touched on this too, you know, about the the Red River Red River. Shoot, shootout is that what's called is it a rivalry red now? river rivalry uh it's, it so it's you can call it the red river rivalry the red river shootout the red river showdown i think it became the showdown in like 2014 after shootout was deemed no long no longer politically correct hmm. and i think red as river of this Tuffle? year in 2023 i think the the official designation is it is the red river rivalry now but it's been through a variety of monikers the red river football match so the battle for the golden cowboy hat um, Jeff had kind of touched on this, you know, obviously OU in Texas is, is next week. Um, we don't need to talk about Texas, but they've got Kansas this week. So upset watch, maybe, um, <laughs> man, Texas and Kansas. That's, that's, 
just super fun. Just by the way, totally super fun. Kansas anyway, is ranked now too. Um, but has there been any? Have you heard any chatter within the in the walls? Um, two part question: Have you heard any chatter within the walls about this being a trap game? Don't overlook Iowa State. One and second part: Would you take the clones to cover nineteen and a half? Man, that's a great question. And on, honestly, I think you guys will be equally qualified to answer that. Uh, but as far as your first question, has there been any chatter about this being a trap game? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that goes back to Iowa State's history under Matt Campbell against Oklahoma. This team has consistently year in and year out showed up and challenged Oklahoma. Haven't always beaten them, but they've challenged them. And I think the Sooners understand that the guys that have been through the fire and stood opposite that Cyclone team uh, across the sidelines understand that it's a well-coached, fundamentally sound football team that shows up believing that they can win every single week, which I mean, it's, it sounds like a very fundamental observation to make, but uh, it's something that is, I, I think truly special about the way that Iowa state operates. Cause there are plenty of teams that you would figure, okay, you'd throw Iowa state on the same category as them. But uh, I think what's been instilled culturally at Iowa state uh, isn't quite, I, I would say it's stronger than what has been instilled culturally elsewhere, where you might have a team show up and figure, okay, well, let's uh, let's see if we can race out to a lead in the first quarter, but you know, 15 minutes pass and we're, behind then that's probably all she wrote but it wasn't there wasn't a belief thing necessarily but we play I, did you how many times did you play in norman twice i think the collective score i think i played in norman twice i think the collective score was like 110 to 20 i think i only played there once uh great field great great field to kick on that's i that's exactly what i was going to say um natural anyway. grass but speaking of natural grass i will commend y'all on this iowa state has the best playing surface i've ever seen bar none we have gotten awards for that I, was, I didn't I realize that. The, the, but the, that the field turf, the, the, the field turf crew has hey, gotten awards. Do you want to look up? I don't know, but this is necessarily a thing to pull right away. How many Super Bowls have been, uh, or how many t Super Bowls have been tended by an Iowa State turf grass graduate? I think that statistic is out there somewhere. I think it's something the effect of like this will be Super Bowl at fifty-two. I think it's something like twenty-six or twenty-seven of the Super Bowls. Uh, the man, the the person in charge of the field is an Iowa State turf grass graduate. Take that one to the bank. I don't know what the exact number is. It might be way smaller than that, but I'm going to keep it at 26 until Aiden okay. tells me well, otherwise. I, I feel really good about my ability to judge turf grass now because I, I when I went up to Iowa State, first time I'd made the trip because 2020, you know, that was the middle of COVID, and uh, that was that was the first full season I covered the team. So I got to make my first trip up to Iowa State last year for that game up in Ames. And I was just blown away by how nice that playing surface was. Man, I love natural grass. I can't stand turf. Can't stand the field turf, the AstroTurf. Neither can Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, oh, too soon. Oh, 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 there we go. Uh, I mean, that's uh, the New York that's the New York Cyclones you're talking about, man. That's right. Uh also, the, just talking about Memorial Stadium, one of the things that I remember about that is when people always ask, like, what was the hardest stadium to play at? I always say the Bill Snyder at Kansas State because the fans are, I would say, in in the the smartness ranks, they're way up there because they know when to be loud, when to be quiet. Uh, they yep. know when, you know, it, it does take you off guard because it is hard to talk about. Can I tell you that my four years playing, I played Kansas State four years. Um, I never played them once at home. Oh, because it was an Arrowhead, Arrowhead, and, and then two, two years at Kansas two State. Two years at Kansas State. Uh, wild, huh? Wild, yeah. It's hard to never play. Hard place them, to play. Never beat them, too. We had an hour and a half lightning delay. Anyway, uh, it was in, but Memorial Stadium's the other one because 
the the wall is like chest high, like behind where the bench is, the wall is like chest high. And I remember yep. there was, uh, you know, it's, it's 80 something thousand. So it's really loud. Uh, the team is always good at home. I mean, it's really hard to beat Oklahoma in Norman. The one of those, the side, the home sideline, the state that goes up into the press box, that is like straight up. I mean, so it, it funnels the sound back in, but the other thing that, and so the same thing in the, like the smart fans level, as far as being loud when they need to be loud, uh, is that they are exactly when that is, but they also, it's the only time that I've had that I can recall. Cause Kinnick stadium in Iowa city is the same like height wall. Uh, the Oakland, I remember there was a drunk guy less sitting, maybe second row right behind the stands. That's just chirping at one of our guys like Ernst Brun and Ernst Brun then turns around and starts chirping back with this guy. And this guy's like almost throwing up on himself drunk. And the rest of the people in the stands were like asking security, come get this drunk idiot out of the way. So I appreciate Oklahoma fans are the only ones that have ever policed their own state, their own fans from trash talking an opponent. So that is one thing that I always remember about, uh, Memorial stadium. Also slightly less than, uh, less, less quality turf grass than ours. Just saying a little more sand. I feel like it was sandier. Oh, one question for you though, Parker, uh, in yeah. regards to defense, then we can switch over to offense. Um, would there, would you say that there is um, any sort of weakness in in the Oklahoma defense? Like, do you have like a true freshman? You, you'd mentioned the the safety, I think, but do you guys have a you know a, maybe a, a cornerback that could be exposed, or is their their run game strong? They're you know stronger than their passing game. Again, it's really really tough to gauge right now because they haven't shown any conspicuous weaknesses through four games but they haven't really faced offenses with a pulse with the exception of SMU, which is a pretty good offensive team in which they succeeded in powering down. Historically, Oklahoma's vulnerability has been against mobile quarterbacks. They've never been very good uh, ever since I started covering the team, at least of containing guys like that when they get outside the pocket uh, and they've never been very good about curtailing their impact with their legs. And so mobile quarterbacks, to me, have been the Sooners' Achilles heel defensively. The big question for a lot of fans heading into this season was how the defensive front was going to hold up against the run, specifically on the interior, because they had to replace both starters uh, who moved on to the NFL. Well, I shouldn't say moved on to the NFL. Moved on to the professional ranks mm. after the 2022 season. So uh, you lost two starters, had to replace them. They went to the transfer portal, picked up some bodies, had some guys that uh, – uh, we're younger a year ago and not quite as experienced in the system. Everybody was kind of learning Venable's defense at the same pace. They were all new to it originally because he didn't bring any transfers with him from Clemson. So everybody was kind of learning on the same pace. There were a couple younger guys that flashed at defensive tackle a year ago. So uh, that was expected to be the vulnerability was the interior defensive line. Uh, they've, they've held up pretty well through four games once again, though, you had the caveat of, well, it, it's really, really hard to judge how good they actually are given the opponents that they've played and how good or rather not good those programs are about just running it down your throat. Well, good news. We can't run the ball. Not Iowa State strength here. <laughs> uh, so if you're looking at so looking at Oklahoma's offense, it sort of feels like talk, while we're talking about the running game, uh, you mentioned it's been sort of trying to find who the running back is. Yeah. For context, Iowa State's problem generally doesn't re reside in the running backs. It resides in the fact that the offensive line, it's a new offensive line coach, new offensive line scheme, and there's quite a few new starters in, and the communication is really bad. Like, They've been booty cheeks all year, man, <laughs> in the run game. 
that's that is a way to put it. Um, but the problem isn't necessarily with the running backs; it's the offensive line. So you're getting hit in the back in the backfield a lot with Oklahoma. I mean, when I say struggling to run the game, run the ball, I mean, outside of the Arkansas State game, just, I mean, that just wash that because that 73 to nothing, that ain't a game. Yeah. In the, the other three games, I think the high running total is like 119 yards or something like that. Even in a game when they beat Tulsa a bazillion to 10, there was still only like 120 rushing yards. They just threw it all over the yard. Yeah. What is the difficulty with the running game? Is it in running backs not seeing stuff? Is it in offensive linemen not staying on blocks? Is it something else? I mean, there's, I always recall with Oklahoma, and this is, might have just been a Lincoln Riley thing and a Bob Stoops thing, but they always had some H back, like a Jeremiah Hall, that would, could just correct anything. They could fix whatever problem was going to be there, and then the running backs could just, you know, help. Now, granted, it helps when it's like Samaj P. Ryan and guys like that, but what is the problem with Oklahoma's running game if they're, if you could quantify what it is other than the coaches saying it's hair, hair off here or there? It's it's a combination of a lot of things. So you rewinded the Cheez-It Bowl last year against Florida State, a team that is excellent defensively, particularly up front. And the Sooners had a pair of freshmen running backs that each rushed for 100 yards behind a an offensive line composed of second and third stringers because they had some guys opt out in preparation for the NFL. So you didn't have a single... I think maybe you had one first-team starter on that offensive line. The rest were second and third string guys. They had two freshman running backs, Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes, that each rushed for 100 yards against a Florida State team that's defensive strength was in the front four. And so that gave Oklahoma fans a ton of optimism about their running game heading into 2023. Both Barnes and Sawchuk have been banged up and haven't been 100 percent working back from injury. They've only been used sporadically. So that's part of it. Uh, right now, the two backs that they've leaned on most heavily to this point have been a walk on. In Tawi Walker, uh, who is an absolute bowling ball of a human he's being, five nine, about two fifteen of just thighs. Yeah. I mean, he is pure muscle. He is pure muscle, <laughs> and he's a fun guy to watch. Not very explosive though. His strength is between the tr- tackles. His hey, strength is like somebody coming else. downhill, getting you four or five yards at a time. Uh, the other back that they've leaned on is Marcus Major, who's a fifth year senior and has never really made a productive dent. So, I would say that uh, on one hand, you have lack of top shelf talent right now uh also the offensive line has been somewhat inconsistent and look i'll be honest with you guys i'm watching these games through a camera lens so in the moment i the offensive line is one of those groups where i don't really get a great gauge on how they're playing generally have to go and rewatch and uh take it from there to figure out how they're actually performing but there have been some inconsistencies there's been some shuffling of personnel up front so in some, it's a combination of a lot of things, and I think it'll be squared away eventually. I think the big question in a lot of OU fans' minds right now is, can you get it squared away before Texas? Because that's the one game, even more so than usual, that everybody has circled on their calendar. So are those two running backs, are they still dinged up? Or are they expected to play versus Iowa State? So they have been active. They have just not been heavily utilized. Mm-hmm. So expect to see them in uniform. Expect to see them in the backfield a little bit. I don't know how much they choose to lean on them, especially because Oklahoma, the, the way that they've game planned the last couple of games in particular against Tulsa and Cincinnati, like Jeff was talking about, they've just made it a point to throw it all over the yard. They haven't even really tried to establish the run up front. They've just said, okay, we're going to let Dylan Gabriel air it out. And 
if we need to run we'll run but our strength is in our wide receiver core right now which that is the strength right now for oklahoma offensively so we're going to go let our big athletic wide receivers go make plays on the ball and we got a quarterback that we trust to put it in the air 35 40 times a game without turning it over so let's talk about dylan gabriel so he transferred from from ucf he's the second year now starting for oklahoma currently he is he has the eighth highest odds to win the heisman oh um yeah, pretty impressive. Um, and and you you touched on it too. You know, Oklahoma's known for their for their great receivers. So um, I would assume, without even seeing an Oklahoma game, that that one Gabriel is tearing up. But two, they probably got some stud receivers and stud tight ends. So would you mind talking just a little bit on on Gabriel's game? Is he more of you know is he a runner at all? Does he just sit back in the pocket and pass it, or you know what's what, what can fans expect from him? Yeah, he's not what I would quantify as a dual threat in the true sense of the word or the term, I suppose. Uh, He's a guy that can and will use his legs when necessary. But I'll give you an example. Going back to the Nebraska game last year, he had a 61-yard touchdown run. And that was one of those plays where everybody was just like, yo, where did that come from? (laughs) You know, and I'm sitting there back at the end zone tracking it with my camera lens, like he's going to run out of bounds, right? And he's going to run out of bounds, right? And I think there were were a bunch of Nebraska defenders on the play that figured he was going to run out of bounds at some point, but he just kept running. So (laughs) to be fair, he didn't have a 61 yard run against Oklahoma or against Nebraska, to be fair. Yeah, okay, yeah, sure. But a play like that, the point is, that's, that's not really within the norm for Gabriel. He's a guy that, you know, if he's got a third and six and the play breaks down, he'll scramble and he's quick enough that he can get to the marker and move the chains. But uh, he has been a little bit more aggressive this year as opposed to last year and taking shots down the field. And he's got the wide receiver core to do it. Think about guys like uh, Nick Anderson, six foot four, two Oh five, Andrew Anthony, six, two, one ninety. Jaden Gibson is six, five, one ninety five. So he's got a collection of really athletic receivers yeah, that not only can go make plays on 50, 50 balls, but can also stretch the field with speed. Andrew Anthony's a sub four, four guy. And so uh, it's, I think for Gabriel, what he has in 2023 that he lacked in 2022 is he's got sizable receivers that he trusts to go make plays. And he's been a little bit more aggressive in getting the ball and maybe trying to fit the ball into tighter windows that he wouldn't have tried to fit them into a year ago. Uh, His nature as a quarterback is that he plays pretty conservative. The game plan that Jeff Lebby, the offensive coordinator, has traditionally implemented for Gabriel has been one that's conducive to that and has minimized the risk. But you have kind of seen the playbook open up a little bit more for Oklahoma through the first four games of the 2023 campaign. And it's really given these wideouts an opportunity to shine, and they've done so. Nick Anderson's a perfect example. Uh, He was sidelined for much of his true freshman season in 2022, only appeared in two games, uh, but a guy that had had and has all the talent in the world to be a Boletnikov type guy down the road against yeah, his, Tulsa. Uh, his brother had, is Robbie Anderson or Robbie chosen. Rodney. I don't know if the, huh? What's that now? His brother is a NFL wide receiver. Robbie. Isn't it Robbie Anderson or Robbie chosen? No, no, no. no. So he's got two brothers. Okay. Both of them had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Oh, okay. I thought Anderson, it was Robbie Anderson. My bad. And then Rodney Anderson who Rodney, played running back at Oklahoma God. and then yeah. later had a brief tenure with the Bengals. But uh, Anderson, against Tulsa, he had three catches, totaled 120 yards, and all three of them went for touchdowns. So he's he's a big play machine when he gets the ball in his hands. So Oklahoma, typically, they 
I mean, usually you guys have some stud tight ends too. You know, obviously Mark Andrews, Blake Bell, didn't he go to Oklahoma as well too? Yeah. Um, you guys had a guy, Stogner, that went to uh, South Carolina. I was like, I'm going to come no, back. I was like, back, just yeah. kidding, I'm going back. Yep. Um, so what do you guys have? I mean, what, what's Oklahoma's tight end room looking like? Yeah, so if there is a vulnerability offensively for Oklahoma in terms of personnel, it is the tight end because behind Austin Stogner, they don't got a whole heck of a lot. Uh, Caden Helms, who was expected to have a much larger role in the offense as a redshirt freshman, uh, got sidelined prior to the season with a knee injury. So he's unavailable. And uh, right now you're looking at a tight end room that basically consists of Stogner, a walk on in Josh Fanuel and a walk on transfer from Texas A&M in Blake Smith, who only had two career catches when he made the transition from College Station to Norman. So not a ton of depth. They had an exciting true freshman in Cade McIntyre that broke his hand in week one, mm. uh, and he's been sidelined. So Stogner hasn't been a huge part of the game plan. And my impression is that that's been largely by design because they're afraid of but quite simply, they don't want him to get hurt because if right. they if, if, if he gets hurt, there's really nowhere to turn, at least nowhere that you're comfortable turning. And he offers more experience than anybody in that room by a country mile. So he's only got three receptions to this point, really hasn't been utilized in the passing game. I'd figure that starts to open up, especially against Texas. Austin Stogner, arguably his best game as a Sooner, came in the 2020 Red River rivalry matchup against Texas. So that's a guy that the Longhorn staff has learned to fear. But he really hasn't been a huge part of the game plan to this point, save for as a blocker. And so that's been another one of the enigmas of the Oklahoma offense. It makes it a little bit more sense than what they're doing with the running back room right now. But a lot of fans are just waiting for Austin Sogner to get more involved and wondering when his breakout comes. Because when he's been healthy, he's been one of the better tight ends in college football. All right. Last question. Most important question. What do you got in the kicking game here? Let's get down to the meat and potatoes this, here this now. Kicking, kicking game. This is, uh, you got a kicker and a guy who cut his teeth in special teams. You guys still okay. have, uh, is it Gabe Bur Burkich? How do you say his name? Uh, Burkich, after the 2021 season, uh, decided to make the jump to the NFL, which did not pan out for him. He no has not way. caught on anyway. Yeah, I was say, I've not heard his name at all. And he mm. was an absolute stud in college. He had no vowel. Like, yeah, like no vowels in his last name. Yeah, so like he B R K C K, yeah. <laughs> something like that. He C -C really, really struggled down the stretch uh, in 2021. He didn't have a great pro day, and so yeah, he's one of those guys that left Norman and really was never heard from again. And he left early. Ooh, he he nice left up. early. He had two years left. He could still be kicking this year. <laughs> That's a oh, nice. Ooh, boy. oh God! That's a, are you going to get drafted? Like there's what, like on, three man. kickers drafted in like five years. Yeah, no, he, and he was never going to get drafted. He wasn't. Boy, come on, but man. That aside, uh, their kicker is a guy who's entering his second year. Well, I guess not entering anymore. We're four weeks into the season. He's in his second year uh, as the starting place kicker. Zach Schmidt, local guy from Oklahoma City, uh, not nearly as big of a leg as Burkich. He's reasonably accurate. Uh, he he only went 12 for 18 a season ago. A lot of those were real close misses, and he he was asked to bomb a couple that he ended up uh, hitting short. So uh, he's I, and I, he's by no means an elite college kicker, but he gets the job done. The punting game has really been an area of weakness for Oklahoma to this now point, though, and that was really really made apparent in that game against Cincinnati because. A year ago, Oklahoma had Michael Turk, who was objectively, yeah. by any measure, one of the top two or three punters in the country. And the hang time, the range that dude had on his kicks, I've never seen anything like it. 
He had like, the biggest just, leg of any punter I've ever seen. Just and wait. Uh, Oklahoma, the, the thing is, Oklahoma fans beef with that guy was that sometimes he would kick the ball too far. Mm-hmm. I.e. they'd want him to, you know, they'd want him to pin the opponent inside the five. And it ended up it, there were a lot of touchbacks last year, which kind of rubbed some fans the wrong way. But conversely, this year he's graduated. He's off to the NFL and the replacement, Josh Plaster, has been pretty inconsistent in that regard to this point and uh, doesn't get nearly the same same hang time, same distance. Oklahoma lost the field position battle for probably 45 out of the 60 minutes against Cincinnati. And a lot of that Uh was due to the fact that they just don't really have somebody that can push the ball downfield in the punting game. So uh, definitely not a situation. I think where Oklahoma wants to get into a battle of field position with any opponent. Uh, That's, uh, that's only happening. Obviously if the offense's wheels aren't turning properly, but if it does turn into a field position battle, I'll be honest with you. That's probably an area in which Oklahoma is going to be at a disadvantage. And I'll tell you what, uh, Iowa State might have the Ray Guy Award winner sitting on their sidelines this year, too. Okay. Not well, joking. Tyler Perkins, he is having an All-American. He's averaging 54, 54 53, 54. Over 50 That'll years. That's pretty good. Yep. Talking about uh, nothing but kicking it on kicking it. Yeah. Well, Parker, we appreciate your time. I know you got to get going here. Thank you so much uh, for the time and talking Iowa State and Oklahoma. And hopefully we have a good one. Um, obviously, you'd probably like to see Oklahoma win. We'd like to see Iowa State win. Just want to see a good ball game on Saturday, though. Um, but yeah, thank you again for your time. We appreciate it. Always a good one when these two teams square off on a Saturday afternoon in the fall, fellas. Uh, appreciate your time, and we'll certainly meet up again in the future. Sounds good. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, man. Kick it! Man, that was good. That was a. He's got like a. He's got like a solid broadcaster voice. He does. And a lot of times when someone's got a broadcaster voice, they've got a broadcaster face. Handsome dude. Good for him. Yeah. Thanks, Parker. Uh, yeah, I don't thanks, know. I, I, it feels like so far in the season, like he was. That was. Really good insight, but also in the same, like, he, he was kind of doing the same thing of like, well, I don't know yet. Like, is it good Oklahoma or is it bad everybody else? So, I don't know. It's a interesting interesting uh, to see how Saturday works. But, yeah, that was fun. It was good. What, what I kind of gathered was that um, Oklahoma, their offensive strengths line up well with Iowa State's offensive strengths. Um, you know, our Iowa State's defensive backs I would say are the strong point of the defense true and Oklahoma's receivers are their strong points their running backs have been not quite as good and Iowa State's linebackers linebackers and you know really the front seven is young I mean they're inexperienced ish um and their tight end it hasn't really come through so I think I think it's gonna be a great uh a great matchup you know Iowa State's defensive backs versus Oklahoma's receivers Oklahoma's got some big receivers too it's gonna be fun to see how um you know, TJ Tampa 6-2 lines up against those 6-5, six, 6-4 six, guys. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'd, uh, we tried to get Adrian Peterson, but didn't work. Yeah, he was busy. All right, well, thanks, everybody, for coming in. Uh, that was the uh, Goldfinch Athletics interview. We'll be back next week talking about whatever happens on Saturday, good or bad. Thanks for stopping in. Take the clones to cover, though.